Thank you, Bridge Kids. You're out of here. Thank you, teachers and leaders, for serving us in Bridge Kids. And if you're looking for a place to volunteer and you haven't served in Bridge Kids yet, it's only a half-time job. See, they, they worship half the time and then they serve. No, uh, it's, very, it's a very important ministry to us, and I'm very grateful for everyone who serves with Bridge Kids. Today we're in Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 22. Acts chapter 4, we continue our series in the book of Acts. Steve Winger from Lubbock, Texas, tells about his very last college exam. It was a logic class known for its incredibly difficult exams. And here's what he said. To help us on our test, the professor told us we could bring as much information to the exam as we could fit on a piece of 8.5 by 11 notebook paper. Most students crammed as many facts as possible on their 8.5 by 11 sheet. However, one student walked into class and put down his 8.5 by 11 sheet. And then he had an advanced logic student stand on the 8.5 by 11 paper. As the exam progressed, the advanced logic student answered every question his fellow student had. And this student was the only one in the course to get an A on the exam, a person. One day, every person will stand before the final examiner. And when you stand before God, God is not going to ask you, how much do you know or how much did you do? No, he's going to, the final will be about, what did you do with my son, Jesus. And if you trusted him, then you learned to follow him. And the question is going to be, how did you do? In Acts 1, Jesus ascended into heaven right in front of his disciples. And then they went back to Jerusalem as Jesus had instructed them, and they prayed and they waited. And then they selected Matthias to be the apostle who would replace Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. In Acts 2, God sent the promised Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Then Peter got up and preached a mighty powerful sermon, and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ on that day. In Acts 3, Peter and John went up to the temple, and uh, and there they healed the man who had been lame from birth. Then Peter preached his second sermon. And we don't know the results yet. We're going to get a hint of that today. Uh, So today, the opposition begins. And I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 4, the first uh, 12 verses to introduce our passage today. Acts chapter 4, you may want to follow along uh, with your uh, smartphone or whatever you're using today. And by the way, we always have scriptures on the table, and I can see there's a bunch of them out there. And every week when you come in, if you just want to go to the table on the way out afterwards. Acts 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because of the apostles 
Because the, the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for the act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4. We begin in verses 1 through 4, and we see that uh, the apostles, Peter and John, are going to be put in jail. In jail because of the gospel. Verses 1 and 2, disturbed by the gospel. It's not Peter and John who are disturbed by the gospel, but it is the religious leaders of Israel. Verse okay, I was just checking something out here in my notes. It confused me right off the bat, but I'm okay. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter while, and John while they were speaking to the people. So keep in mind, this is the very same day uh, that the man had been healed earlier at the temple um, in chapter 3. The location in the temple is at the portico of Solomon or Solomon's colonnade. It was a large area on the east side of the temple where there were Huge pillar stones, and there was a porch, and it was a nice place to be in the shade, and a lot of people would hang out there, and this place could hold thousands of people in the courtyard. There, there are chief priests, captain of the temple guard, and the, by the way, the captain of the temple guard is the second most powerful person there. The chief priest, the acting chief priest is legally the most powerful man there at the temple. The captain is the second most powerful person there. There's a reason he's with this group. It's because they plan to arrest Peter and John, and uh, they need the captain of the temple guard to execute this order. The chief priests and and, and the Sadducees, um, we, we know quite a bit about the Sadducees. The Sadducees are these. The Pharisees are the more conservative. Uh, They believe in supernatural. Uh, They take the word of God very seriously. Uh, They believe in angels. They believe in the resurrection. But the Sadducees do not. Uh, They're very political. They're very concerned about Rome. They're very rationalistic. They don't believe in in angels. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in miracles. But they got a real problem here because there's been a miracle. They are anti-supernatural, just like today. We have people with 
anti-supernatural presuppositions. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And, you know, a little reminder here, a lot of people are disturbed by the gospel. These leaders were disturbed by the gospel. The temple area is clearly the jurisdiction jurisdiction of the high priest. And um, Peter and John have created a huge scene. This is a problem. The, the, the temple is supposed to be a place of worship, and uh, it should be done under the authority of the leaders of Israel, the way the leaders of Israel want it done. And Peter and John have caused a problem here by having all of these people stirred up and asking questions. And this miracle just makes it way more complicated. Um, Not only that, they're proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That is a huge problem for people who don't believe in the resurrection. And these guys are the religious leaders of Israel. Verse 3, they're placed in jail for the gospel. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. This was very convenient time because it was late in the day. The healing probably took place around noon. It's later in the day. And um, the high priests now are going to have time to process this. There's not time to pull the, the leaders together who can make a decision about this and make a ruling. In other words, they've got to invite the Sanhedrin to come. That's the ruling council of Israel. They've got to invite them to come and make a decision. But guess what? We'll just put Peter and John in jail overnight. And uh, we'll, we'll stop the stir we have here. By tomorrow, this may all blow away. You get Peter and John in jail where they can't cause any more problems today. We'll bring the ruling council together tomorrow. It's all good, at least for the moment. So... Um, there's opposition to the gospel. And you know what? There's always been opposition to the gospel for these 2,000 years. And there's always going to be opposition to the gospel until Jesus returns. Um, The the gospel cannot be stopped by jail, and we're going to see that, uh, or uh, persecution or execution. Paul wrote a letter in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and Paul was in jail. He was in chains. He was in a prison. Uh, he was held prisoner in Rome. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, he's writing to the Philippian church. This is Paul the apostle, not Peter the apostle. That what has happened to me, Paul says, has actually served to advance the gospel. That's good news. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's a prisoner, and because he's a prisoner, now the gospel is advancing even more. Um, And that's what's going to happen when you put Peter and John in jail also. Verse 4, but advancement of the gospel. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This gospel thing is going pretty well. The good news is having an impact in the city of Jerusalem. It has grown to 5,000 men. In Acts 2, the number was 3,000, but it didn't say men. Here, it's men. That means there are women and children above this and aren't counted. And so there is expansion of the gospel. The gospel advances 
And God is getting the attention of the people, and the people are getting attention of God. And more and more people are putting their trust in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and paid the penalty for their sins and has been recently resurrected from the dead. So, lesson here, it is possible to end up in jail for doing God's will. I just want to remind us of that. We sometimes get the idea that God is always going to take care of us and we're never going to have problems if everything's okay. And all I'm saying is, you can do God's will. Sometimes you're going to make some people upset. Sometimes people end up in jail. Peter and John ended up in jail. They were doing God's will. John the Baptist, one of the most godly men you'll ever meet in the Scriptures, was put in jail on a whim. And then he had his head cut off on a whim. And he was right in the center of God's will. Verses uh, 5 through 12, now they're on trial because of the gospel. On trial, the tribunal is gathered in verses 5 and 6. The next day, the rulers, that would be the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. This is the Sanhedrin. And they would be like uh, taking the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Supreme Court and putting them together. The number is only 70, which is a pretty large number for just one city in Jerusalem. 70 in the ruling uh, rulers of Israel in the Sanhedrin. They're made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, the conservatives and the liberals. And then there's one more, and that's the acting high priest. And that makes a total of 71. Verse 6, Annas, the high priest, was there. Interesting way to put it. Annas was not the acting high priest. He is the oldest living former high priest. And apparently he has an extreme amount of influence or power here. He's probably like the godfather of high priests. And everybody else does what he wants. He's politically savvy. He knows how to operate in Jerusalem in the first century. There was also Caiaphas, and Caius is the acting high priest, and Caiaphas is the son-in-law of Annas. We learn all about this in, for example, the book of John. Uh, these were the chief priests that ordered Jesus to be crucified. Uh, also, there was John. John happened to be a son of Annas, and Alexander was the son of Annas, and they both will become high priests later, and others of the high priest family. And it was just a few weeks or a few months earlier that this group had ordered Jesus to be crucified. And guess what? They just remind you they do not believe in miracles. And we get a taste of uh, the Sadducees. The Sanhedrin were primarily made up of Sadducees. They're the rationalists. They're the, we don't believe in miracles. And, um, Jesus had an encounter earlier in ministry in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 22. And I want us just to look at this to sort of get the mindset of the Sadducees. And this is the flavor of the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. So, you know, you're going to have a problem if there is a resurrection. Came to him, Jesus, with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us. What if a man brother's what if a man's brother dies and leaves the wife, but no children? 
the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Um, that was instructed in the law. Next slide. Now there were no, so th- now we're going to have a sort of a fictitious example. Now there were seven brothers, so this is going to be complicated. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the women died too. And he's going to raise the question of like, whose wife is this person? And uh, Jesus says, you're badly confused. The, the point of this is, this is the rationale. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to make Jesus look silly because he not, does not have formal education. The authority question, verse 7, back to Acts 4. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power, what name did you do this? The interesting thing here is they don't deny that a miracle has taken place. Uh, but they would like to deny that a miracle had taken place. But they want to know where the authority came from because the high priests have the authority. The, the Sanhedrin have the authority here at the temple. And Peter and John are not a part of that. Where do they get their authority? Um, and authority is pretty important. The gospel is explained in verses 8 through 12. And our ministry authority is explained, and it's Peter and John's ministry authority. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So Peter stands up. It's interesting that Luke, the writer, tells us that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Very important. Because the words that Peter will speak represent what God once said in this situation. Um couple of things just to um, remind us about this concept, filling of the Holy Spirit, because Peter is going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, Peter's life is yielded to the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not just for leaders or professionals or apostles. The filling of the Holy Spirit is for every follower of Christ. And what happened on Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit came and indwelled the people who believed. And so the Holy Spirit is in every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ from Acts chapter 2 until today and until Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. But this is different. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit and Christian, you're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that it's possible for you not to be filled. If you're a true believer, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit no matter what. But not everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit, really, unless you yield your life to God, unless you seek to obey Him, unless you keep a short account with God by having your sins confessed. Peter gets up. God empowers him to speak and represent him. God empowers him to live for Christ. And he says, here's what Peter said, Rulers and elders of the people, verse 8, if we're being called to account today for the act of kindness shown to a man who was lame 
as being asked and being asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Peter and John have come in the authority of Jesus Christ. Christ has sent them. They are apostles for Christ. They have authority of Christ. Jesus said, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. And he sends his disciples with that authority. And when let me remind you from last week. This, it is by the name of Jesus. The name represents the person. Uh, the name represents the reputation of the person. And the disciples are coming in Jesus' name. The disciples have Jesus' authority. And what makes this really significant is there's been a resurrection. Jesus is alive and well, and he sits at the right hand of God right now. And he did on this day. And Jesus, who was alive, is the one who healed the man who had been lame from birth. And Peter's not shy. He tells the leaders right off the bat, he could have left this out. He said, Jesus, whom you've crucified, he puts the blame right on the leaders of Israel. You crucified him. You executed him. You put him to death. You tried to defeat him. That's not what God had planned. But God raised him from the dead. God had other plans. God raised him from the dead, and he is alive. He is not dead. And then Peter says that this man stands before you healed. That this man stands, the man who was lame stands right before you. This is proof. By the way, that was what the miracle was all about the whole time. It was a proof. It was to tell God's people, Israel, to pay attention to the messenger and pay attention to the message of the messenger. Listen. Verse 11, Peter goes on and he goes back to Psalm 118, verse 22, and he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And he's calling the leaders of Israel the builders, the ones who rejected Jesus, the Messiah. And this Jesus has become the cornerstone. And Jesus is the fulfillment. And the Jewish leaders are the builders that rejected him. I'm going to go back and look at Psalm 118, verses 15 through 24. And we're going to look at the context here. This is the passage that Peter quotes. He quotes verse 22 about the builders reject who would become the cornerstone, okay? And here's the context, Psalm 118. The Old Testament believers understood this was a reference to Messiah, the promised one. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty mighty things. The Lord's right hand refers to his power. Okay? The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. When Jesus was resurrected and he ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. This passage was looking forward to Jesus. Verse 17. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, 
crucifixion, but he has not given me over to death because there's a resurrection. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is a picture of entering into the temple in Jerusalem uh, humanly. But there's also a temple in heaven. Verse 20. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Jesus became the gate for the righteous to enter. He became the gate. He was the good shepherd who became the gate for his sheep. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's the, that's the verse that Peter quotes. Next slide. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. And Peter is saying, Jesus is the one. Our ministry success, verse 12. This is one of those verses I memorized as a brand new believer. Um, Salvation is found in no one else. But there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I memorized it in the King James Version. It sounds a bit different. It's still as true. It's the name of Jesus. It is the person that of Jesus that saves people from eternal damnation. It is Jesus' name and authority that the lame man was healed. In fact, there is no other name. There is no other person ever in all of humanity. He is the only one given to us whereby we can be saved. Jesus said this about himself in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. You know, people want to talk about today that there are many ways to God and all religions lead to God. Jesus never left that open. You can't have it all ways. Jesus narrowed it down. He said, he is the way. That is either true or it is false. It can't be a lot of, uh, said this is true or it is false. The Apostle Paul uh, said this in Acts 16.31. It's Paul and Silas respond to the Philippian jailer. And and the Philippian jailer asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. If you believe, if your household believes, you will be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. That was the whole discussion. Jesus said this in John eleven twenty five and 26. This is to Martha at Lazarus' graveside. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Even though there's a physical death, the person who believes in Jesus will live with the spiritual life, will live eternally. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die eternally. And then he says to her, do you believe this? What do you think? What are you going to stand on when you get an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper? Verse 
Verses 13 through 22, we come to the last section, set free because of the gospel. Verse 13, we have the power of a changed life. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. By now, the Jewish leaders are quite impressed with Peter and John. They don't want to be impressed by Peter and John. Um, Peter and John were fishermen from Galilee. Their, their speech patterns were recognizable. They weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't from Judea. They weren't highly trained. They weren't formally trained. They didn't have a doctor's degree in anything. They, they didn't even have a doctor. They were not trained speakers. They were just ordinary And these leaders were astonished, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. You know what? Jesus wasn't formally trained. Jesus didn't have a doctorate. But yet Jesus had thousands of followers. Jesus taught with authority. Jesus performed miracles. Now these men are doing miracles. Jesus had courage. Jesus was confident. Jesus didn't cower to religious authorities in Jerusalem. And Peter and John are just like Jesus. Here's a lesson. Courage to do God's will is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he had courage to represent God, to speak for God. God The Holy Spirit will give you courage to do whatever he wants you to do, to follow him. Whether it's speaking for him or uh, obeying him, courage to wait on God, courage to be patient, courage to hold your tongue when you need to hold your tongue, courage to speak out. Courage to do God's will is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, proof of God's work. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. This proof was standing. There was no more argument. Can't debate that this man was healed. Verses 15 through 17, perplexed by the gospel. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. They don't want Peter and John to hear this. They send Peter and John out of the the way, out of the room, and then they decide, what are we going to do with these guys? Verse 16, what are we going to do with these men? They ask everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. There has been a miracle, even if they didn't believe in a miracle. Verse 17, but to stop this thing from spreading, it's like a disease, it's contagious. To stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must Warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So the Sanhedrin will use their power and authority to order Peter and John to stop sharing the gospel. They don't want this good news to spread. They called them in again. So the leaders called in Peter and John and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
and they're, they're telling Peter and John, you've got to leave Jesus out of your life. You can't do ministry anymore in Jesus' name. Problem solved. Christianity stopped. The end. Verses 19 and 20. Preempted by a higher cause for the people. Preempted by a higher cause for the gospel. Verses 19 and 20. That Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. Now, Sanhedrin were judges. They were the ruling council. They called the shots. They, they uh, made decisions about people. They made decisions about justice. Whom should Peter and John obey? Should Peter and John obey God or should they obey humans? The answer should have been simple enough for these godly leaders. Verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Peter and John intend to do what God said first. Jesus had told them, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what Peter and John intend to do. They must tell the truth about Jesus. They must tell the truth about what they know. Then the last two verses, praise for the gospel and further threats. They let, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because the people were praising God for what had happened. The Sanhedrin had no more arguments. They, told, uh, they are told to their face that Peter and John are not going to obey. They are speechless and God is praised. People are worshiping God for what has happened and the leaders are speechless. Verse 22 for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. What does that mean? It means everybody in Jerusalem knew this guy. Even people who only came once a year to the city, went up to the temple, would catch on. Yeah, I remember him from last year. And he was here the year before. And here was a man who had been in this situation from birth. And so you can be assured that he had muscles had atrophied. And now he's walking around and he's giving praise to God. God was pretty, strate pretty strategic in healing this one man. Okay, first one is from our total passage today. Some observations if you want to write them down. First one is, sometimes being a witness for Christ means taking risks for Christ. It's pretty obvious that's what happened to Peter and John. They took some significant risk. We forget this sometimes. Peter got up in the temple and spoke out against the religious leaders. These same religious leaders ordered Jesus to be executed just weeks earlier. This was a dangerous place to be. It was very risky. Next observation, doing God's will is not always safe. We've already said this. Doing God's will is not always safe. We ought not to be surprised that people hate Jesus and they will hate us at times when we represent him. Next observation, God, the gospel is not confined by government. Good reminder. Going to jail will not stop the gospel. Being executed will not stop the gospel. Um, our rights as Americans are not more important than the gospel. Sometimes we get all bent out of shape about our rights. 
when we should get bent out of shape about God's priorities. The last one is that God's laws are higher than man's laws. God's laws are higher than man's laws. Now, God has put government in authority over us because most of the laws we just need to obey, by the way. I'm, I want to make that clear, and I believe that, Romans 13. But when the government goes against God's laws, then God's law is the higher law. Uh, sometimes churches get to meet openly like we are today. We just take this for granted. But sometimes churches have to, have to go underground. They are secret churches. They have to find ways to worship when they won't be discovered. And by the way, just let me remind you, the mission of the church is not to make America a Christian nation. The mission is not to make America a Christian nation. The mission of the church is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Sometimes American Christians get confused. Final application question. Is there enough evidence in your life for people to accuse you of being with Jesus? To the people around you, is there enough evidence in your life for people to accuse you of being with Jesus? Can people tell that you are a follower of Christ? Do you speak up for Jesus at appropriate times? Do you represent Jesus well in your speech? Do you represent Jesus in your school or in your workplace? If someone were seeking the truth, if they wanted to know about God, would they seek you out? Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for uh, Acts chapter 4 and for the courage of uh, Peter and John to stand up and represent you. We thank you that they were all in and that they were sold out for Jesus. And that you used them to advance the gospel in a mighty way. And Father, this is not the first century, and we are not Peter and John, and yet we are followers of Christ. May we learn from Peter and John. May we continue to grow and put our trust in Christ as we follow him, as we seek to obey him, as we seek to do the things that he's entrusted us to do. May we continue to learn to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit as we serve you. May we not do it in our own strength, but may we honor you. And as people are around us, may people recognize that we are people who know Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.